Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. I have a couple of announcements I'd like to call to your attention. Uh, We have a big event happening for our our young people. In July of this year, uh, an event that only happens every three years is taking place. It's called LIFE. It's part of the Christian Missionary Alliance's uh, major push to, to lead young people, high school age, into a deeper walk with Christ to find their purpose and their meaning, their call with Christ. And, and usually what happens is thousands of kids from all over the world show up. I've been there once when there were 10,000 kids. There's usually 9,000, 8,000 high school students that come. We have 15 of our Risen King youth who are planning to go. The cost is $1,500. And so I'd like to make an appeal that some of you would feel led to sponsor some of these kids. They're raising their own money, their parents are covering some of their costs, but it would be awesome if we as a church could say, we're 100% behind our youth, we want to we wanna see them all get to life. Uh, the cost, $1,500, you could sponsor a kid, you could sponsor par- partially, and uh, my understanding is you could even pledge them uh, to give the money. They will be leaving in July. I'm not sure when the last of the money is uh, needed. You want to June in June, the last of the money is needed. So, if there are any of you who would like to join us in that, it would be an awesome encouragement to our youth to uh, to say, "Oh man, the church sponsored me and helped me to get to life." We've seen a lot of kids go into the mission work. We've seen kids go into full time Christian service. But the greatest thing about it is just the 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 way their lives are changed by lingering with the Holy Spirit for a week, being with other students, and seeing a worldwide move of God. And it, it changes our kids' life forever. So we're really 100% behind this. The other thing is uh, we finish up our uh, Reframe series today. We are always, in, in doing a series, we always believe it's more than just hearing the Word. It's really applying the word into your life. So we always do an integrative kind of conference or retreat afterwards. And so this, this time we're going to do it here in-house. We're going to be here Friday night doing extended worship. Dr. Martin Sanders is going to bring home a message about our Reframe series. And then we believe that you have to integrate this truth and apply it into your life. So Saturday morning is going to be a time of prayer, a time of stations, times of confession, uh, being able to work this healing message of the gospel deep into your life. This is uh, all free. We would love for you to register, though. Um, It would be an awesome time to be together. It's something about tarrying with the Spirit that makes things even more deeply real to us. Now, on this last uh, of our eight-week series, we're talking about sowing and reaping. We're looking at Galatians chapter 6. I'm, I'm going to flip the script a little bit, and we're going to read together from verse 7 to verse 10, and then later we'll go back and catch verse 1. But I really believe uh, that this principle of sowing and reaping is something that is foundational to the Christian life. So I really, uh, being a recovering Presbyterian, I have three points today. Okay, so it's all about sowing and reaping. The second point is how to love your pastor. That's the only point that really matters. And then the third point is how to love each other. Because everything that has to do with loving the people in your life has to do with what you sow into the people in your life. And so we're going to read this together. Are you with me? Let's read this together, uh, beginning of verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, 
Let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Say this with me. Sowing, Sowing. And, reaping. and reaping. One more time. Sowing, Sowing. And, reaping. and reaping. So here's what we find that Paul is teaching, is that every spiritual, emotional thing in your life is a seed. So every thought... Every action, every motive, intent, every word that you say is a seed. And whatever that seed is, it gets planted and that seed will have a harvest. So everything you're thinking, everything you're saying, everything you're doing has the same principle as planting seeds in the physical realm. You cannot have a harvest unless you plant seeds, but if you plant corn, you're not going to get tomatoes. You'll get corn. So if what you're planting is fleshly, in other words, it's anger, it's complaining, it's immoral, it's unfaithful, it's, it's a lot of unforgiveness, then guess what? Everything you're planting is what you're going to receive back. It's as simple as that. But the problem is, that there's a temptation then to throw out the rest of Galatians and to forget that it's been stated really clearly that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so the, the temptation then is to use the sowing and reaping metaphor as a way to control people's behavior. So that it becomes a reference to lifestyle, to personal choices, whether you're choosing flesh or you're choosing spirit. And what happens is Paul is not doing that. He's going way beyond that. He's saying when you sow in the spirit, what you reap is eternal life. That's not behavior management. That's not behavior modification. See, Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, that if you are a gospel-believing person, you are no longer under the law of performing or earning or deserving by your actions. There is a problem for many of us in the church that we have felt like, yes, I came to Jesus by faith, but now everything's on, on the basis of my works. And so what happens is, we might say with Paul, yes, yeah, circumcision means nothing. Yes, all those Old Testament laws, they mean nothing to me. But then we come up with all our own laws. For example, let me take some simple ones. There are a lot of people who are saying, if you eat this, if you eat healthy, if you make sure you exercise, if you make sure that you do all the right things for your body, then God will give you health. Because if you sow health, you're going to reap health. Some people have said this to me. If I, if I just keep myself sexually pure before marriage, if I make sure that I don't have sex outside of marriage, then God will guarantee that I have a great marriage and a great relationship. Well, think about these. I have seen people perfectly healthy who died really young. I've seen people really unhealthy who lived over 100. I met a guy with a cholesterol over 800 one time in his 90s. The doctor said, you might as well keep eating that chicken fried steak. Put more gravy on it. And there are many, many Christian people who said, if I just stay pure, if, I'm just, if I do this, then I'll have a great marriage. And then they marry, and it sucks. But God, you promised if I would... No, he didn't promise. You made a law. Think about the opposite of this kind of legalism. Suppose you don't have the money for nutritious food. Suppose you don't have the health for exercise. So then God, does God damn you because you don't do that? 
Or suppose you never were pure and you weren't, you weren't able to be, you weren't sexually moral. Are you damned then to never have a good marriage? You understand, if you start moving into earning, then it has to be all the law, not just some of the law. I guarantee you no one in here has kept the speed limit perfectly. And if you're guilty in one place, you're guilty in all places. I'm mostly guilty in New York City and Nyack. <laughs> but you see, what happens is because people don't really look at this and say, what did the whole first five chapters of Galatians teach us about really sowing and about really reaping? And they start to use words like this. If you just sow a seed to God, then God will have to multiply it. Matter of fact, I've been in, in, in meetings where somebody said, if you give God $10, he has to give you $100. If you, which translate, if you give him 1000 10000 You know, 10000 100000 Now, when I say that out loud, you should, you should be able to look and say, wait a minute. That's works. That means that his blessing is caused, caused by my actions. That means I have come to deserve 10000 because I gave a thousand, which then throws out the whole gospel. It's not that this is a little thing that can be laughed off. This is a big thing that says, if I am going to live under grace, I have to live under grace in my money, in my health, in my marriage, in my family, in everything, I have to learn to live under grace. So what, what are we really saying? It's saying, let's say you have a $10,000 need. Do you think God is up there going, boy, if you just give me 1000 I'll turn it into ten for you. It's like he's the Goldman Sachs of the sky. Or isn't it more likely that since he's the father and you're the child, and if you go to him and say, I have a $10,000 need, that he will say, daughter, son, I will provide. Now, am I saying that out of the air? No, I'm saying it on the basis of his promise. The promise is, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So in other words, when I say, God, I'm going to give you 1,000, so you give me 10,000, what I'm really saying is, I still want control. I want to earn it. I want to deserve it. I want to make it certain. Instead of saying, wait a minute, it's already certain because his promises are yes and amen. See, either he is a good, good father or he's not. And it's either you are a child who has come in not to a deserving relationship, but because Jesus deserves it, now you get it. But you see, when you say, Father, I have a need of $10,000, you're having to surrender you're having to yield control. You're having to say, I will watch and see how you provide. I will wait and see your provision. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, that's faith. Expressing itself in love for the Father. But when you say, Lord, I've got a hundred, you've got to give me a thousand. That's a transaction. That's no longer grace. That's law. But here's the thing. It's not a law God agreed to. It's kind of dumb to do things God hadn't agreed to. I was one time in a, a meeting, and a guy said, God will give you 1,000% today. And, and, and he pulled it out of some scripture that I know he Googled the word 1,000 and then looked up a scripture <laughs> and then tried to apply it because his ministry was in trouble and he needed big money that night. 
So see, his lack of faith was causing him to manipulate using the work of God and the need in a way to bring fear and pride and control to the people. You understand, when you sow to the flesh, it can sound like faith. You might say to me, but Mike, I have faith that I give the 10, he gives me 100. You see, that's not faith in God. That's not faith in his promise. That's faith in a formula. That is not faith that counts. That's temporal faith, not eternal faith. You see, all you need to have is faith that your God will supply, that your God will be your resource, that if there is a need, and I, I, I know this, I think you know this, God can get our attention with certain things better than others. Money is one of those things that gets our attention. Health gets our attention. Relationships get our attention. But the question then is, once God's got our attention, will we yield control and offer the situation to him and then see that he can do more than you could ask, think, or imagine? Or are you going to obligate him to a formula that he never agreed to? So why do we give? Why do we give spiritually? In the Old Testament, the standard of giving was a tithe. The tithe was an interest, is a very interesting and powerful thing, but I want to show you two, th- two reasons for the tithe. Tithe itself kind of means 10%, but I will, I will say to you at some point in my research, the tithe got up to about 23%. I guess it was inflation or something. I'm not sure, but <laughs> the temple tax, the tithe, all of those things. But what was God's purpose in the tithe? Well, let me give you two purposes. The first was this. If you belong to the Lord, then you know that everything you have belongs to the Lord. 10% is not the Lord's, 100%. But what God wanted us to do was be a people who said, the first thing that matters to me is my spiritual life. The thing that is most important to me. The thing that is ultimate to me is you. I love you, the Lord my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he said, will you furnish for the nation a spiritual resource, the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, pay for the priests, make sure that they could could mediate between the people and God all day, every day. Because God said, the most important part of your spiritual life is your worship. Because if you will worship the Lord your God, then everything else in your life will line up afterwards. If you have God as ultimate, then he will make sure all your resources are covered. If you've ever seen how Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says, hallowed be your name, before he says, give us this day our daily bread, there's a reason for that. You see, if you ask for the bread first, you're not first saying, your kingdom come. You're not first saying your will be done. You're saying, first supply me, then I'll think about your will. But more than that, he says, hallowed be your name. And basically, hallowed means this, I make ultimate your name. Here's what I have learned, is if you will make God's name ultimate, then all the bread starts flowing pretty freely. Because you see, if the bread is not ultimate, then God can give you all the bread you need. And I'm meaning that financially, health-wise, relationship-wise, because daily bread has to do with sustenance and sustaining of your whole life. But you see, if the bread is ultimate, then God becomes the means to your ends. God becomes the source to your mistress. God becomes the resource for your idolatry. And of course, he has to withhold the bread till you realize the bread is not life. Jesus is the bread of life. All right, now. That's good. I know Alan's the only one getting that this morning. <laughs> Al, I'm just going to talk to you from now on. 
You've got to hear me in this because what happens is if the first thing in your life is not worship, then the bread gets cut off. Because God will not compete with your idols. I'm a jealous God, he says. You shall have no gods before me. And so the idea here is that many of us God has been speaking in your relationships, in your health. He's been speaking in your finances. He's been speaking through annoying people in your life who are saying to you, you've got it backwards. You give God the leftovers. Or you are trying to manipulate God by giving him so that you can get. And God will never be your assistant. He can only be God. And so the biggest thing is to start to realize that the reason the tithe was given is so that we would realize this is the first thing. The Lord my God is the first thing. But there's a beautiful picture as well that God wanted us to learn to live on 90%, not 100%. This is one of my favorite things is that God said to the farmers, you cannot have 100% profit. You must leave 10% of your fields for those who can come and glean, those who are oppressed, those who have no means of making money. God always provided for those who could not provide for themselves through those who produced a lot. And he said, you can live off 90% so that you have a margin of 10% to give to those in need. Our God is a God of compassion. And he longs for us to not be greedy people who say, God, how can I live on 90%? I can't even live on 100%. But see, the world says to you, you have to live on 150%. A mortgage, credit cards, auto loans. Most of us are not living on 90%. We're living on way above even 100%. Because we want to have what we want to have. But the word of God in in trying to give us freedom was to say, I want you so free to live in the 90% that you have 10% to give to the spiritual things, to give to the needs, to give to others. And he's he's basically saying, I want to be the God who provides the 100%, but you trust him with the 10%. But if you start making, God, I'm going to give you 10% so that you'll give me more. Now you've subtly taken what could have been sown in spirit and you've sown it in your flesh and said, I'll only do this if I get. And you see, again, if if that's the way you look at giving, then every penny you're giving God is not for God, it's for you. And you'll never, ever mock God. He'll always know why you gave what you gave. And so Paul says, look, friends, don't grow weary in well-doing. It's so interesting here. He uses a farmer illustration. It's the idea of a farmer not seeing the harvest and kind of starting to get discouraged, wanting to give up. And so what he does is he, he just stops. He stops sowing. He stops planting the seeds. He stops because he doesn't think it's going to happen. And Paul says, Keep doing good. Keep on sowing. Even if you haven't done it perfectly, keep on sowing because you will reap harvest. Here's the thing that I've learned. When you sow to faith, even in a garden of spiritual weeds, the weeds flee. But you see, so many of us, we've been using this sowing and reaping idea in many ways to, to you know, Manipulate God. And here are those words. God is not mocked. So, good reasons to give. Lord, you're first. Lord, you're most important. Worshiping you is what I hallow. It's what I make ultimate. Secondly, Lord, if I make room to give to others, you will always take care of me. For your promises are yes 
and amen. Would you say this with me? My God shall supply all. Say it again. Shall supply all. My needs. Let that sink in. Don't need a formula. Just need faith. Because you're, even in this, your faith is not the cause. God is the cause. He already wants to bless you. What did Jesus say? I've come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly. So let's get to the important part. Now, how do you love on your pastors? <laughs> so Paul, in this passage, in chapter 6, says, that you should share everything with those who teach you, who lead you. And so the sharing there is, is sharing financially, it's sharing your encouragement, and it, it's basically this idea. If you, if you sow the Spirit into your leaders, you will reap a harvest from your leaders. Now the problem with that is that churches have abused this as well. So here, here is one church on the continuum where if you give the pastor a fantastic car and you give him a big house and you give him a huge salary and stuff, you're doing it so that you will get a fantastic car and a fantastic house and a fantastic everything. See, the problem with so many of us is we give to get. We don't give because we're getting. So we're not loving what we're receiving and out of the love that we're receiving and the, the value that we place on what we're receiving, relationships, friendships, all of these things, because we're not sowing out of what we're getting. We're just trying to sow out of what we, what we need or want or think we're missing. You see, if you're sowing negatively all the time, you're going to reap negative. But if somebody's saying something like, if you give the pastor this big car and you give the pastor this big house look what's happening in america see that corruption of the faith making it financial and monetary is being played out now where those who have all of these riches and have corrupted the sowing the seed teaching of the apostle paul are now being seen as morally corrupt as well as financially corrupt god is not mocked you see, what happens with many of us is we don't realize how much a capacity for self-deception we have. I hear it all the time, people saying, well, if I were in power, I would do this. I'm like, if you're in power, you'd be just as corrupt as they are. Because sin is sin, and deception is deception. Paul uses the word here, it's so interesting, when he talks about how deceived we get. He uses the word planeo. It's the word we get planet from. What does a planet do? It, it wanders around the sun. And so the word planeo is that we are people who are prone to wander. We are people who are easily led astray. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor. You can point at him if you want. All right, here's what I want you to say. You have... Tremendous, Tremendous capacity, capacity for self-deception. Self now, see, some of you enjoyed that way too much, and others of you said, no, I don't, which proves you're deceived. Say it one more time. You have, you have tremendous capacity, capacity for self-deception. It is so important that you get this. Because you will not be able to sow into the kingdom. You will not be able to sow into your family. You will not be able to sow into your friendships in a meaningful way if you are not realizing your own capacity for self-deception. So this goes to the other side. So there's the, there's the loving the pastor that says, give them the Rolls Royce. And then there's a, there's a side that I was birthed into, which said, and this is a deacon said this to me, in my first church, he goes, we want our pastors, we, he actually said, we want our preachers to be humble and to be poor. 
We can't make sure they're humble, so we're going to make sure they're poor. And they did. <laughs> See, either way, it's sowing. But one way of sowing is I'm going to get riches if I give riches to my pastor. And the other way is we want him humble. We want him to sacrifice. We want him or her to suffer. And either way, Paul is saying, no. That's, both of these are sowing wrong. You know, in the end, you know what really matters is your motivation. In the end, are, are you giving because you love? Are you giving out of what, you know, you're receiving? Or are you just giving to get? It's either give to get or give out of what you're getting. And either way, you begin to realize one sows to the Spirit and is an expression of eternal life flowing through you. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times that people have come up to me after a service and go, I would tell you that that was a really good sermon, but you'd get a big head and then I'd have to take you down. I'm like, thank you. Please never come up here again. Because I'd like to take you down right now. Why, why is this so important? Because where you give reveals what you love. And, and here is where we are so easily deceived. We can say, I love you, Lord, but if you won't give, you don't love. You can say, I love your kingdom, but you don't give, you don't love. And I'm not just talking about finances, I'm talking about serving. I'm talking about mentoring, discipling, being discipled. Where you give is the demonstration of where you love. Now, are you tracking with me a little bit? You probably say, I would tell you yes, but then you get the big head. And... So this is the third part. How do we sow into relationships? And Paul really, I think he really captures it here. Would you read it out loud with me? My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Just to remind you that second point, love your pastor. All right, that's, that's that part. So here's the thing. How you relate shows more than anything else what you're sowing to. Whether you're sowing to the spirit or you're sowing to the flesh. Why did I go on and on a little bit about that deception thing? Because let me tell you, Satan cannot deceive you if you're not willing to be deceived. If you are willing to stand up to the truth, even the uncomfortable truth in your own life and in the lives of others, he will not have that weapon be effective against you. Amen. The problem with deception is people who are deceived don't even know they're deceived. Amen. And so Paul is saying that we as believers begin to accept a responsibility to one another. As spirit-filled brothers and sisters, we are called to help each other. We're not called to turn away. We're called to turn towards and so Paul is speaking here. He says, you who are spiritual, 
But what he means by that is not some superstar spiritual group of elite Christians. It's anyone who has the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'd like you to do just to reinforce this. Turn to your neighbor. Look at him and say, I am responsible responsible to you, you. not for you. you. Say it one more time. I am responsible responsible to you, you. not for you. you. See, this whole passage is summed up in that. If you start taking responsibility for someone... Their burden will crush you and them, which means you're not carrying anybody's burden. So when you are responsible to them, then you have perspective. And here's the perspective that Paul wants us to have, is that when we see people going through their spiritual life, we're not shocked that works of the flesh manifest. Because we're real people, not fake people. We have real issues. Now, I know when you come to church, you're fine, but the rest of the time, you're not. And so what has to happen is Paul says, our responsibility to each other is to restore one another gently. Now, How does he teach us to do this? Well, he says, when you see a person caught in a sin, and the word he uses for sin here is a dislocated bone or a broken bone. So what happens to a lot of us is we, we look at sin differently in the lives of others. We see it as something to correct. We see it as something to attack. We see it as something to condemn. But Paul says, no. When you see a sin in a brother or sister's life, look at it as you would look upon a dislocated bone. If you see a dislocated bone, you're going to go, you're going to hell. You say, oh no, you broke your bone. Let's get some help. Come on, you got to see this is not what we've been doing in the church. Soon as somebody sins, we're like, you're condemned. You probably aren't even a Christian. I can't believe you can't be a part of my fellowship. You can't be a part of me. And now I'm not saying there aren't times where you need to do that, but it's always about restoration. Even if they've done the worst thing, it just means they have more broken bones. And guess what? I've never seen a bone relocated by yelling at it. Get back in place. In Jesus' name. (laughs) It hasn't happened. Because Paul is trying to say, you've got to have the perspective of grace even when you're dealing with the sin of a sister or a brother. Why is that? Well, think about what Jesus taught us. Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Now, is my forgiveness the cause? My forgiving others, is that the cause of my forgiveness with God? No. The cause is always the cross. But you see, I will act like I don't understand the cross if I can't forgive you. If I say... I want grace, but I won't give grace, then I don't understand grace. See, if I say in some way, I deserve mercy, but they don't, then I don't understand mercy. I love it in our society, because people always are saying stuff like, he deserves forgiveness. Well, if they deserved it, there would be nothing to forgive. He deserves mercy. Well, then he doesn't need mercy. He just needs justice because then he deserves what he deserves. I know I have this gift for stating the obvious, but you've got to listen to me on this. It has got to become that the atmosphere you breathe is grace. Or what's happening is you're stepping in and out of the law, which is death. 
Every time you try to earn, every time you try to perform, every time you mix grace with performance, you're stepping into a place where you're cutting Christ off from your life. And you're making it as if Christ is no value to your life. So how we deal with one another shows whether we're sowing to the spirit or we're sowing to the flesh. And guess what? If you sow to the flesh in relationships, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Are you quiet because you're listening? So would you say to me, I will look upon others' problems as dislocated bones. My purpose is to heal. So that means, now I may lose some of you here because it's going to take, it's going to take a deep commitment. It's going to take a deep level of trust. You, see, it's not, it's not hard to get the concept it's a broken bone. But it's hard to get the concept to restore gently. Because usually the broken bone is hurting you as well as the person. And so here's, here's some thoughts on how to sow from Paul's admonitions here. First is, he's saying you have to have a ministry of truth. And you have to have a ministry of tears. Now, what I mean by that is there are some of us, you see a broken bone, you're like, man, what did you do? That bone looks terrible. Oh, gosh, it looks awful. You're killing me with that bone. We, we'll speak it out. We'll talk about the bone. We'll be all upset about the skin being penetrated, the blood coming out. We'll talk about truth till, till the cows come home. And then others are sitting there, oh, God, yeah, I broke a little They're crying, feeling it. See, what happens with many of us is our personality overrides the spirit. And we're like, I got to tell the truth. I got I to tell, tell them what I see. I got to give them my perspective. And others are like, they can live with the ambiguity of not having conflict forever just so long as they don't damage the relationship. And the Bible's basically saying this, love is truth with tears. Love is not if you just have tears, and love is not if you just have truth. In a sense, truth without tears is not love, and tears without truth is not love. And it's not really truth. So we are people who are broken bone people who are trying to help other broken bone people. And the reason Paul says so much about this is because anything anybody else has and you see is usually your own issue as well. Most people in your life are a spiritual mirror to your own pride, your fear, and all those things. And so Paul says, be careful. You get easily deceived when you're trying to fix people because you fall into the same thing. So here's, here's his admonition you still with me in this? If I want, I'm doing all the work, but you look tired. I never understand that. <laughs> so he uses the word caught. So when he uses the word caught here, he's saying there's a repeated habitual sin. We're not talking about somebody had an anger fit or they got worried for a moment. We're talking about a, a lifetime of worry. We're talking about a lifetime of issues. So it's a habitual sin. And, and the reason that you're talking to them is you want to restore them. You want them to have life abundantly. You don't just want to get away the annoyance. And then he says, caught. This is really important. Someone who's caught is blinded by the sin. They can't see it. So let's say there's a sin in my life that I'm working on, and you come and say, you should work on this. That's not helping me. You're just making me feel bad because I'm not working fast enough or hard enough or well enough, which isn't spirit, but perfectionism. And so what he's saying is you are the ones when you see something in people you love that's dislocated or out of alignment, the spirit is saying, go talk to them about it because they don't even see it. Then when it talks about caught in a sin, he, he He's not saying, go talk to people who have offended you. Usually when people have hurt you, you're the worst one to go try to restore them. 
because your feelings are mixed up. You're trying to restore the relationship. This passage is about restoring the person. The other thing is this. It's better to not correct non-Christians. Many of us want to tell non-Christians how to live and we want to tell them that's sinful behavior, that's bad behavior. But I've got to give you this. Please hear me. It's actually damaging. Because you're making them think that Christianity and the gospel is behavior management. So here's how I want to close. I see the music coming. <laughs> My hero is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said it this way, Christianity is not primarily a teaching nor a philosophy nor even a way of life. In the first instance, it is before all a relationship to a person. The New Testament, in a sense, will not even discuss with us the kind of life we're going to live until we have come to a satisfactory answer about him. All along, it shuts us down to this one matter and holds us up against this one thing. It refuses to discuss our questions and our problems with us, except in terms of this person. I want to live a good life, says someone. All right, replies the New Testament. But before we can discuss with you how you can live such a life, what have you made of Jesus? Where does Jesus come into your scheme of things? What is his place and his position in your whole outlook and world? See, this is, our, this is our mission. Our mission is not to clean up America's morality. Our mission is to lead people to Jesus. Because morality without Jesus is still damnation. So we are called to love in a different way, to sow in a different way. But this is the thing that I, I believe you have to get. It has to be all about Jesus for you. It has to be all about Jesus. Is he your ultimate or is he your means to an end? Is he the one that multiplies your $10 into 1000 Or is he the one who will give you the cattle on a thousand hills? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the author and the finisher of your faith? Or is he just the means to the outcomes and results that you long for? You can't manipulate him. You can't get leverage on him. He wants to give you everything he is and everything he has, and all he wants you to do is accept it. Will you stand with me? This might seem simplistic, but when I get confused, I just go back to my longing for Jesus. When I can't quite figure my finances out, I go to Jesus and I just say, I long for you, Lord. My health issues over these last six years, I just, I don't understand them. I don't, I don't know how to make them not happen. So I just go to Jesus. I remember in my hospital bed with blindness in my right eye and I just said, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. Like Ruthie was singing earlier, my worship was my warfare. My praise was my breakthrough. I want you to hear today that every minute you're sowing, but is what you're sowing what you really want to reap? You can make a change today. This is the beautiful thing. Suppose you never ate healthy. just seems unfair that you could live a full and wonderful life except under grace. Grace is for those who don't deserve it. Maybe you were sexually promiscuous, you were sexually immoral, but you're, you're desiring that you would have a loving marriage and you would have intimacy and oneness. Grace is not dependent on your past. Grace is a present infusion of the intimacy with God that will become intimacy with another. Maybe you haven't made the right financial you know, decisions. You maybe don't have enough for retirement. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. See, everything changes. 
You may not believe me, but the psalmist believed that goodness and mercy were chasing after him all the days of his life. I see goodness and mercy chasing after you right now. Would you, would you stop running? Would you lean in and say, Jesus, 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 you're my ultimate. Would you surrender? If that makes sense to you, I, I know this is kind of a strange thing, but you kind of have to act prophetically. And we're not, we're not going to do an altar call, but I'm just going to ask you to take one step forward from where you are, even if it's a little bitty step. Just step into, Lord, I'm stepping into sowing and reaping in the Spirit. I'm sowing into Jesus. I'm sowing into my faith. Would you say this with me? Jesus, you're the source of my life. You will supply all of my needs. Nothing is impossible with you. I can do all things through you. You will never leave me. And if you are for me, who can be against me? This is not a negotiation. It's not a transaction. He's just asking you to receive all that. That you believe it. That you commit yourself to it. Money is nothing for God. Healing miracles are nothing. I've seen him raise baby, a baby from the dead right before our eyes. Nothing is impossible for our God. Would you believe today? Do you understand? If we are people who are sowing in faith, if we are people sowing in the Spirit, our world will turn upside down. But it starts with us. It's just His presence is... I I don't usually get to close services because I don't like to end them. His presence is very thick right now. He's, he's asking the level of faith in you to rise up to the level of His promise for you. That the level of surrender right now, even of outcomes and results and control over which you've tried to have leverage, it's saying, God, Your way is better. God, Your way is, is bigger than I can think. It's more than I can ask. Lord, I step into, as representative pastor of this church, we step in as a church to a new season of grace, a new season of your releasing miracles and healings and releasing of salvations and deliverances and your, your caring for our children and our young people, of you taking care of our families and our singles, Lord, and taking care of each and every one of us in a way that the water level of the Spirit rises around us. Come, Holy Spirit, for Jesus' name, in a fresh way, we we welcome you. We embrace you. That every thought, every word that we begin to sow seeds that will change our lives forever. For Jesus' sake, amen.